love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. Don't you just love a good love story? Love is like that. It's the light that is part of your life. It's unconditional. There's something there for all of us. There's hope that we can get through this and find some joy in our lives. He's always been the one. Self-love is a love story too. Those little sparks of joy are really important. Imagine someone making your biggest dream come true. It's important for people to understand that you're not alone. We love to be part of a Canadian love story. The love story never ends. Well, love is the most important thing. I think that people turn to music to really not feel alone and to feel kind of like they have a spot for their heart. Everybody has been in love at some point, even if it's for an afternoon, and it's the best feeling. And when somebody else can kind of remind you of that feeling, it's like a life's musical motivator for not committing to loneliness. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. Today's love story belongs to Aiden Towns from Montreal. But to be more accurate, it's a vicarious kind of love story that unfolded between his grandparents. It's the stuff of romantic movies, but Aiden, a professional musician, made it into a love song. This is the Canadian Love Map. Aiden Towns, thanks for joining us on the Canadian Love Map. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to talk about a particular song that you wrote, but that's someone else's story. Let's start with yours. Tell me about how you became a musician. Yeah, well, I've uh, I've been playing music my entire life. I started playing professionally uh, in my early 20s, and basically I was inspired by um, this one moment where I was at a Dave Matthews concert when I was like 15 or 16 years old, and I had only gone because my brother really liked him. And then uh, in that moment, I kind of realized all of these people from all around the world had come like just to see that one show. And, you know, there was this moment where he was on stage by himself and everyone was singing. And I just thought, like, how can I not want to do that? And never looked back since. And here I am. So it was sort of the magic in the interaction between the performer and the audience that appealed to you? Yeah, I it was that, but also the fact that that one song meant so much to so many people and met, meant so many different things to each person. It was a song called Crash. And I actually just got back two nights ago from a show in Toronto um, where I went to see one of my favorite bands um, that I've wanted to see for like 15 years. Their name is uh, Death Cab for Cutie. And same you know moment really again when, when it was just uh, Ben playing guitar sang a song called I'll Follow You Into the Dark, which is kind of my favorite song ever. And in that moment, I was like, so lucky to do what I do, um, but just still in awe of people that, that can write songs like that. So 
how did your sound kind of develop and your relationship with music? When did it start and how did it shift through the years? Well, I always sang and, and played music. Like when I was younger, I listened to a lot of music. I, there would be songs sometimes I'd hear on the radio, like Runaway Train and songs like that, that I would record to tape and just listen to over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I kind of always hummed and wrote my own little songs when I was like a young, young kid. And, you know, over the years, like my brother, he had this Columbia House thing where he was like getting all this different type of music I'd never heard. And I think just kind of from listening to all that stuff, it just, you know, kind of met somewhere in the middle. And once I, you know, finally had a guitar and started playing when I was late into my teens, I kind of worked on developing like my own sound and it kind of came a little bit fast and then uh, I had this long period of time where I kept trying to be someone else and then eventually came back and here I am. You have a unique sound and is what you're saying that you sort of resisted that for a while? Yeah so I put out like my first album and it's this amazing thing about first albums where Sometimes the less you know about stuff, the better that it can be. And you're not overthinking it. And, you know, you don't really know if these chords go together. And so it ends up being really like cool and true to who you are in that moment. And then you kind of start to learn uh, a little bit too much where it's like, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that or I shouldn't do this. And you overthink things. And I'm a tremendous overthinker. And I, I kind of found like, I was still very true to myself lyric wise uh, that has never compromised. But I think I had a period of time where I was maybe trying to fit into what I felt I should. And, you know, the older that I get, the more that I kind of am able to forget what I've learned and just dig in. Yeah. So that's the sound. But am I right that storytelling has always really been woven into your music? You know, I've always thought that when you go to a show, you can tell if the, you know, artist or performers, if they mean it and if it's true to them or, you know, true to an experience that has happened to someone that they know and not just written, you know, to be written. So every song that I write has really always helped me through whatever I was going through at the time, like dark kind of periods or a lot of relationship stuff. And it's always been that somehow the more open and truthful that I can be in those songs, the more that I can kind of get through what I'm going through. I just, I need to sing it, you know? And it's like, okay, but I love songwriting. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's like at some point it sort of gets revealed to you. You just are trusting yeah, until fun. that point. <laughs> it's fun. And sometimes my songs, even over years later, I realize like, oh, that line or that phrase that I wrote, you know, I think I thought it meant this, but not really what must have been what was going on. When I was younger, I had this weird thing where I played at Mexi's for years and years and years. That's kind of how I like really got started playing in bars. And it was just every Monday night and I had three hours of music to fill and I didn't have three hours of music, but no one was really listening. So I would just make up songs as like truly start to finish, like lyrics, like chords, everything. Because it was like everyone's pretty margarita induced. And sometimes those songs would actually predict what was going to happen to me. And then I kind of was like, 
Am I a fortune teller? <laughs> the muse working through you. That's really cool. I, I do believe in what you're saying, that when you create something from a heart and soul level, it has the ability to land in the heart and soul of others. But if you create it from the intellect, that's the only place it can be received. And if you don't dig deep and have it really be meaningful to you, then it's not going to resonate on an emotional level with other people. And the song Churchill that we're talking about today is definitely from a heart and soul level. And I was so taken with it the moment I heard it. And I'd love you to tell us how it came about. It's my favorite song to sing because it's uh, about my nanny. So it's also about my grandfather. He died tragically young. But my nanny, I can't talk to her without smiling and seeing her. I guess see her in my head. She taught me so much about music. She was uh, a music teacher. Um, she was the smartest wittiest person I've ever met and she was also like my drinking buddy I'd always bring her pick rooms beer she loved it it was so fun um and she told me this story one time I was probably like um going through something with some person I was with and she kind of had told me the story before about like her and Joe um so her name is Maxine his name was Joe and they had met on this boat when she was going to England to study music and he was going to professional hockey because he was the coach of the uh, of Fredericton Canadians, um, which at the time was the Montreal Canadiens farm team. So he was an amazing hockey player. He was going over to Britain to play for the Wembley Lions and they had never met each other. They met on the boat going over there and she was with someone she was going to be coming back to her and someone she was with got up to go get a drink on the boat and when she came back he was sitting in her seat and she probably wasn't super thrilled about it knowing her um <clears throat> but he must have liked that interaction because they talked and hung for the like long trip and then when they got to england to london they made a decision to kind of think on it for a few days. And if they met at the St. James Clock Tower in Piccadilly Square in London, that they would, you know, never look back. And they met and they never looked back. Am I right that they both had commitments in terms of relationships back in Canada? I actually talked to my uncle about this and he had lost his wife a little bit before, a few years before. And I think when she told it, she might have romanticized the, well, we both had partners. I can't prove that he didn't. I think would need to do some more digging on that. But it has been a part of something that I've said. And I feel like Nanny maybe was playing a joke on me. So how much did she tell you about that day when they met at St. James? I just remember her kind of saying that, you know, you have to always take risks for what you want and like look at what happened you know, with me doing it. And I think it was like any relationship, it was like not without its challenges. And I think that they both just loved each other so much that, you know, from really the moment that they met, there was no way that they couldn't be together until something tore them apart. Hmm, that's an interesting way to look at it. Can you describe their relationship a little more? Yeah, I would have loved to have met him because when I see photos of him, he was so athletic and so handsome. And I feel like everything that like my mom and my uncles have told me about him is that he was just like the most ambitious, funniest guy. And 
like they definitely like to have, you know, some drinks together, I'm sure. And I think that they had a lot of fun together. I think that they kept each other young, probably a bit tumultuous, but well worth it. You know, kind of you get through it because the good is better than anything ever. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCentres.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. So how did the song Churchill start to form in your head how was how was it born i did start writing without knowing what it was going to be about and it just kind of evolved over time for me where i started painting a picture of of their meeting and and what that must have felt like and painting this picture of the the meeting at this church and nanny passed away when i was actually in london i was playing shows and i went to this clock tower and i remember thinking like I'm going to write her a song. Every time that I get to play it, I think of her, think of like what it must have felt like when he was sitting in her seat. When I see it on the set list, you know, coming up, I I get excited because I get to see Nanny again. Oh, that's beautiful. I I think we can't do anything but uh, have you sing it right now. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't mind where you've been, why you're here, or who you're with, cause I am yours through and through. From the moment I saw you, courage, why did you go? What did you leave me on my own? I guess I've been blind. I see, come on bright, I set me free. If you never want to go back, if you never want to leave, I will be right here waiting and stay until my heart beats still. I take a train to Piccadilly and I'll be there at a half past ten. Meet me at the clock tower. And I will be yours instead So I stood beneath the arch Thinking how time can steal your heart I don't mind
love it so much. It speaks to such a deep sense of connection between two people. And I'm curious, as a grandson, did you find that kind of a love really inspiring? I did, yeah. And she told me when she would like sit down at the piano and play, she would think about Joe. And, you know, because it wasn't a whole life. He, he passed away in his 30s, um, tragically, you know, also at the height of his career. I think getting through all of that would have been so extremely difficult. And I think that, you know, she probably did turn a lot to music and to the, the love of the, you know, children she had and that moment and that story and the risk and, and the payoff. I think about it all the time, you know, outside of when I play music and facilitated a lot of the decision making processes that I've had about relationships and careers and, and moves and whether to just out of nowhere, get two dogs um, with without really thinking too hard about it and them being the greatest joys in your life, which you can probably hear tapping around. I, I think about that kind of love and what it must have meant. And I, I know that love. You know, I have that sitting on the couch over there. Oh, that's awesome. I'm curious about knowing her as well as you did. What do you think she would have to say about this song? Oh, yeah, I think she would love it. Uh, I think she would love how much I still think about our prices, Right lunchtime dates and, you know, the excitement of the new Picaroons beer for her. And I mean, everybody likes to be in the song, but she got to be in a song that is a joyous song. And I think in my songwriting, if you're in one of my songs, it's not for the best reason. So she'd uh, she'd think it was a riot. I don't think we can just brush past that Price is Right date thing, though. You have to tell us. Oh, yeah, that. that was all the time. I lived with Nanny in university for about three total semesters in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And every day that I was home at lunch, we would watch Price is Right. Oh, she loved Bob Barker so much. And like we would try to like compete at the games. She wasn't the best loser. So normally I would just kind of like let her win. Well, actually, I shouldn't say let her win because she did win most of the times. Like she was particularly good at that over under game um, where they have to like get the five numbers in the price of a car. And you say like, is it over yeah. or under that one number? And there's five. She would have won a car. She always said she would have won a car on it. The next song is is about Price is Right. I can see it now. <laughs> be so good. Oh, and her screaming and calling them idiots, being like, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. So, Aiden, I think that, you know, we all want to make some kind of contribution to the world. And it seems like you're really doing that through music. Why do you think love songs in particular are so important to people? I think that people turn to music to really not feel alone and to feel kind of like they have a, a place, kind of this like, spot for their heart to live in you know those moments when maybe they're in a crowd of people and they're all experiencing the same thing or they're home by themselves and and kind of need something to remind them of the greatness and goodness in this world because especially now with like the amount of terribleness that can happen and that people seem to love to spout it's nice to hear a proper love song about something good and pure and, and the, the most human thing that we have which is love and like I think it is a grounding thing to have those songs because everybody has been in love you know at some point even if it's for an afternoon there's been that moment and it's the best feeling and when somebody else can kind of remind you of that feeling and you know if you're looking for it it remind you that it exists it's like a life's musical motivator for not committing to loneliness. Oh my gosh. 
Well, I just, I love the song and I'm excited uh, that you have had such success with it. And I'm curious about what your career holds going forward. What would you love to see happen? You know, obviously COVID for everybody, um, not just arts industry people, everybody on every level, personal and everything was difficult. I put out an album during COVID and it's the album that I'm, you know, the most proud of to this point in my career. But then I, I kind of went through this period of time where like, you know, shows being canceled and getting excited about things and having them be canceled um, was a lot to take. And it kind of had me shy away from music and it being 2023 and everything feeling so vibrant and alive and, and exciting and, you know, going to shows and, and all of that stuff. I, from the start of this year have been writing a lot of music. I traveled to Iceland. I did a, um, a trio album with a gentleman named Suavar Kanutor from Iceland and a songwriter from a Derby UK named Lucy Ward. So we have a UK tour at the end of this year, 18 shows. Um, I'm playing Tonder Festival myself in Denmark in August, got some Germany shows. So I'm going to be putting out new music and I am feeling like a kid again, you know, loving the climb and just can't wait to see uh, how high it can get. Now, if you go back to that Dave Matthews concert where it just clicked that, oh yeah, I need to do this. Does this all leave you with a great sense of gratitude that you are getting to make this a career? Yeah, it is the best, um, the best decision ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been able to do it now professionally for uh, about 15 years. Um, and I think any time you can live off of the songs that are in a, a guitar and in your heart, I, I don't know what else you could possibly ask for. Well, that sounds like one definition of love. But I am going to ask you to finish off. You talked about the fact that you are fortunate enough to know the kind of love that your grandmother had. So my question is, how do you define love? What does it mean to you? Oh, I get to talk about I get to talk about her. I do. I, I got married um, in September of last year, and we've been together for uh, a decade plus now. And when I think about love, it's like we're both Scorpio. So it's the fiery couldn't possibly imagine not having total occupation of your heart type of love where I don't need to hang out with anybody else because she is my best friend and I think she's so funny she should be comedian and sometimes I'm sure just like with me we just want to scream at each other but I think that it's the type of love that you can't possibly imagine having never found you. And I'm the luckiest person to have had that for a day, let alone um, this many years. Okay. There's a mic drop moment. That's one of the best uh, descriptions I think we've ever gotten. And my producer is shaking her head. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Thank you, Aiden, so much for talking with me today and also sharing your gift of music. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.